Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights diverse trendsetters and change agents who are the greatest contemporary thinkers and doers, devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology expert, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in optimal lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining me on today's show, where you will learn about rising adult professionals. Stand up, stand out, and succeed. My first guest is Julie Lithcott-Hames. She is the former Stanford Dean of Freshman, author of the New York Times bestseller, How to Raise an Adult, and of the lauded memoir, Real American. She holds degrees from Stanford, Harvard Law, and California College of the Arts. Julie believes in humans and is deeply interested in what gets in our way. Her work encompasses writing, speaking, teaching, mentoring, and activism. She lives in the San Francisco area with her partner of over 30 years, their itinerant young adults, (laughs) and her mother. We're talking about her latest book, Your Turn, How to Be an Adult. Julie, welcome back to the show. It is always a pleasure to get to hang out with you. Lisa, I feel the same. Thank you to you and to everyone listening to us today. Yes. Well, let's get into this, the concept and the practice of adulting. Yeah. (laughs) What is it? What is it? What is it? We're still trying or we're working on it. (laughs) Well, I think that's a really good point. Let's start there. A lot of people seem to think adulthood is a destination you arrive at and then you're good. And I reframe it as a way of living. So you're never done. It's not an arrival point. It's sort of how do you behave along the way? And it's got a few basic components. You're in charge of yourself, more or less. You feel you have agency. You can do stuff. You have a good deal of resilience because you've life has taught you that things will go wrong and you know you're going to be okay and bounce back after a little examination of your feelings and thinking about what to do differently next time. And, you know, you get to craft your own way, the jobs you want, the relationships you want. You know that you're, you know, largely self-reliant, but you also know that humans are everything, that our human relationships are what really determine the quality of our life. So as you're actively pursuing your own dreams, you're also trying to get really good at interacting with your fellow human. That's it in a nutshell. Doesn't that sound amazing? It does sound amazing. It sounds amazing. And, you know, when we think of it like a mindful practice and, you know, there is no perfect mindful practice or no perfect way to be mindful. There's the practice of the doing and the being. Mm -hmm. So that's what I take away from your description. 100%. Absolutely. And, you know, I love that you said that because I've I'm 54 and I've had a mindfulness practice now taught to me by a very wise practitioner back when I was 39, which really helped me come, you know, I was outwardly successful, but inwardly self-loathing or self-doubting because of all the things I'd been 
told about people like me. I'm black and biracial. I was just constantly battling to not be the stereotypes and perform and prove that I was worthy of other people's approval. And all of that, as you know, is just sitting atop a bedrock of self-loathing. If you're constantly seeking other people's approval to know that you're okay. And developing a mindfulness practice allowed me to appreciate where all of those insecurities and triggers were coming from and allowed me to really come to terms with, you know, who I am and who I want to be and to become infused with an acceptance and love of the self so that I take that self with me wherever I go. This is, you know, a theme I write about it in your turn, the new book. It's like when you belong to yourself, when you do the work to undo whatever is causing those insecurities, when you truly love yourself, you belong to yourself, therefore you belong everywhere because you take that self-loving person with you wherever you go. It almost forms this protective barrier between you and you know the book club or the conversation at work or the conversation at Thanksgiving or whatever is challenging. You know, it's like if you love yourself, you're far less susceptible to the darts and barbs uh, coming from family and friends and strangers. This is the greatest undertold story. Yeah. Like as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, like this is undertold. We don't spend enough time of telling this type of empowering story to not only be like a good adult, but to be a good person. Yeah, I think you're right. It's undertold and it's so innately available to all of us if we could all just get that little bit of guidance around, well, how do you begin to know the self? How do you begin to unpack what's hurting you? How do you begin to replace the insecurity or the self-doubt or self-loathing with self-love? And my answer is when I did the mindfulness work with a coach, Mary Ellen Myers, who will be one of the five people whose faces I see as I die, I'm certain of it, if there's any truth to that, You know, she was like, notice when, you know, when you're about to act out, when you're about to be really emotional or big with your voice, that was the critique of me in the workplace. You know, of course, angry black woman, right? Stereotype. (laughs) Um, But, you know, she's like, let's not forget the stereotype. She said, let's not pander to that. But is it working for you? You know, the bigness, the emotion, the jumping in and, you know, my litigator personality. I was a lawyer for a time. And I said, you know, it's not working in academia. It's very collegial and collaborative. And. So when I'm big with my emotion, whether it's positive or negative, I end up being sort of told I need to apologize. And so it's not working for me. And she said, if I teach you how to notice what's coming up in you, so then you can decide what type of response you want to have rather than it feeling like a an impulse or a reflex that you don't have control over, might that be a way to strengthen your your toolkit? And I said, yeah, absolutely. So I began to pay attention to what just happened such that I'm feeling the need to call this person out or punch them in the face or just be like really (laughs) dramatic. And I learned that the triggers were, you know, if somebody was questioning me, it goes back to, well, you're black, you're not smart, right? If somebody was disagreeing with me, it was, it was all, that's the location of my self-loathing. Like I have to prove I'm black, but smart. And that's what childhood and and young adulthood had taught me. So when I began to see that all of the triggers were that, I began to be able to say to myself, wow, okay, 
yeah, I began to have the self-loving, like, okay, that just happened. Do you want to think about it? Do you want to say something? Is now the time? What do you want to say? I began to slow the thinking down, become somebody who is more in charge of my emotions, not to silence myself, but frankly, to choose my moments and choose my language so that I could be more impactful and have the kind of outcomes I was ultimately seeking. And and when I came to terms with the why behind the triggers and said them all out loud to my coach that I had hated, you know, who I was and was just trying to be what white folks valued, I cried ugly, snotty tears. And it was that unburdening of the shame of holding those thoughts about myself and my people, saying it out loud to my own psyche, saying it out loud to Mary Ellen, released the shame from me. And all of that stuff left me. It was like a boulder was thrown into my psyche. And, you know, when the waters settled, it was the waters of self-love. Wow. I'm imagining that sort of catharsis. And I'm also at the same time, I'm thinking, well, for a young person who's just trying to figure all this out, to have the courage to look at oneself in this way is mind-blowing. Like, And there are not many people in their early 20s who do, and yet there are some that, ha- that have gotten yeah. there. And I think, Lisa, Gen Z is better at it they than are. any of us ever were <laughs> because they've grown up with you know what in some places is verboten, social-emotional learning. The rest of us know that's a way to understand and regulate your own emotions so that you're not an asshole around others and you can be tender to yourself. And Gen Z gets that better than anybody. So, and they're more aware of and adept around differences, whether they're race-based, ethnicity-based, nationality language, or neurodivergence, or you have a mental health situation. Gen Z is better equipped to appreciate the various aspects of their own identities that they carry, either by choice or by you know, fiat, they, right, this is who I am. They are, they've been raised to appreciate and respect differences. Yes. In a far greater manner than any prior generation. So I actually have a lot of hope that the folks, you know, who are younger, who are in their late teens and early 20s, have a greater capacity than you and I had at their age to kind of love that self in its fullness with its foibles and quirks far sooner than we were able to. And embrace their differences. Right. And their truths. Yeah. I think that is true. And although as a mom of two young adults, I also see in them the terror and joy of fending for themselves, which is something that you write about. Yeah, it is terrifying. Fending means looking after the basics for yourself, your body, your bills, your belongings. It's a lot. And it's always been a lot, but I think in in our modern era where many of us as parents, and I'll certainly own it personally, I have done this, I <laughs> over-attended my kids, I over-helped, I over-managed, I went, if there were 10 steps to a process, I did seven of them or eight of them. You yeah. know, if there were three steps to a process, I did two and a half of them. It was like my kids just had to show up and do the final step. And that's, you know, I, I over-helped, which meant they were less prepared uh, to fend than somebody might have been if their parents had had the wherewithal to kind of be off to the side watching just in case you don't want your kid to set themselves on fire the first time they're using the stove. <laughs> right? We're supposed to be there to prevent their death. But short of that, we're supposed to delight in them learning the various things. And so 
the more we do that with our kids, the more they're able to fend in that first apartment or that first new community they live in outside our homes after high school. My partner always teases me about pre-chewing their food. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, do not pre-chew the food. They're not baby birds, you know? (laughs) I love that. Exactly. I love that. Mm -hmm. And it does get, it does cause a laugh. Um, But to the point, your point, like fending is scary. And I think we want to protect our kids from scary feelings. And anyone who studies anxiety in children will tell you that overprotecting them from the scary feelings foments anxiety in them. Yeah. It's like we're saying, yes, this is so terrifying. We need to curate the environment so you never experience it. Instead of like, wow, I see this is tough. I, you know, do you want to talk about it? I love you. I'm here. Pause. I have confidence that I know this is hard now, but I know one day it's going to be easier and I'm rooting for you and I love you so much. Like we're supposed to empathize and be optimistic instead of curate their environment by pre-chewing the food. Or fix it. You know, yeah. the, the, the withholding the need to fix. I mean, and this is how parents can help turn out really good adults too. Like right. just, just bite your tongue. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. we need to bite our tongues. Amen. Uh, we need to take a break. And when we come back, we will continue the conversation with Julie Lithcott-Hames. To learn more, please visit julielithcotthames.com on Twitter. It's actually all the same, which makes my job so easy in this moment at J-L-Y-T-H-C-O-T-T-H-A-I-M-S on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Here comes the pause. We'll be right back. Hang on. Before we take that break, let me share with you one of the ways I harvest personal happiness with today's proud sponsor, Daily Harvest. Daily Harvest saves me precious time and feeds my family fresh, natural, big nutrition by delivering convenience without compromise to my doorstep. At the end of a long recording day, the last thing I want to do is shop, chop, prep, and cook. Thanks to Daily Harvest, my freezer is fully stocked with delicious harvest bowls, soups, flatbread, snacks, smoothies, lattes, and more, all powered by organic fruits and vegetables. I am wild about the mint and cacao smoothies and the French lentil and leek crumbles. Daily Harvest is like my invisible sous chef who stocks the kitchen with all the yummy, clean, sane, and healthy foods I would prepare if I was doing the cooking. It makes me happy to know that I have mouth-watering food choices for breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, and dessert at any time. That's practically instant healthy gratification. With Daily Harvest, I never have to question the quality or source of my food. I know they've created food that's good for my health and the health of our planet. Daily Harvest supports farmers who invest in practices that increase biodiversity, improve soil health, and deliver food in recyclable and compostable packaging. Daily Harvest does all the work, so all you have to do is eat and enjoy. New to the scene is their delicious harvest bakes for those moments you need homemade feels without any of the effort. Enjoy ready-to-bake veg pack dishes sizzling with gourmet-level flavors. Join Daily Harvest for a daily dose of edible goodness delivered to your door and ready in minutes. Avoid the takeout temptation and get Daily Harvest. Go to dailyharvest.com slash harvesting to get up to $40 off your first box. That's dailyharvest.com slash harvesting for up to $40 off your first box. Dailyharvest.com slash harvesting. Now let's take that pause. We'll be right back. To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and the office, visit harvestinghappiness.com. 
and explore Lisa's experiential on-site brain fitness workshops, corporate programming, and speaking engagement services. We're back talking with Julie Lithcott-Hames. We're exploring rising adult professionals. Stand up, stand out, and succeed. Let's get back to the conversation. And we're back talking about rising adult professionals. Stand up, stand out, and succeed. My guest today is Julie Lithcott-Hames. She is the author of Your Turn, How to Be an Adult. And Julie, I'm going to share with you and the world how much you've made my day with this conversation because... I'm in it, right? With these young adults. Me too. Me too. (laughs) I'm just in it. And it's a good reminder that we're in the practice. Yeah, we are in the practice. My son is 22, about to be 23. My daughter is about to be 21. I have made every mistake I critique in others. And it was really my vantage point as a college dean at Stanford In the era when helicopter parenting was just reaching the university shores, I was seeing on my campus what folks were seeing all over uh, on every campus, which was parents over-chewing their kids' food still at the college level. And my empathy for young adults, my rooting for them to figure out what am I good at, what do I love, how am I going to craft a life in furtherance of what I know to be true of myself, that's what I came to work every day to advocate for. And so when I saw parents overreaching, whether it was you have to major in econ or I'll divorce your mom. You have to be pre-med. You have to be God. engineering or or the more kind looking. Let me help you with everything. You know, do you have this? Do you have that? Have you done this? Have you turned in that? Whether it was the sort of stern authoritarianism or the very helpful best friendism, I was like, yo, when are these young people going to go off leash and be able to chart this path and stumble along the way, which yes. is the only way they get stronger yes. and more confident. And that's that fierce advocacy for young adults, for the right of young adults to make their own way is what led me to write the parenting book seven years ago. But this new book, Your Turn, is squarely for young adults. It's me in their corner, rooting for them, validating them, believing in them, telling them some hard truths. But ultimately, it's all in furtherance of them leading this one adult life in the way they design and they desire. And that is really empowering. Like when you can turn to your young adult, your child, or, you know, somebody who's close to you and say, you know, this is your journey. This is actually all yours and I'm here for you. And when they fail and when they succeed and everything in between to be their champion, you know, that's our role not to do it for them. That's right. Not to do it for them, to be their champion. I really visualize it as parents stay in your lane. Yes. Uh, Don't be in (laughs) their lane where you're either, look, there's ain't much, just picture a track. There is not much room in a lane for more than one human. Okay. So if you're in your kid's lane, you are either behind them with your hand at their back, pushing them forward, or you're up ahead with a tether between you where you're dragging them along behind you. That's not helpful or healthy. We need to be in our own lane, yeah, slightly off to the side of them, near enough so that there is, if disaster is befalling them, we can use our age and stage and privilege and wherewithal and skills to help them out of a true fix. But largely, we're meant to be nearby, rooting for them, clapping, cheering. They know they're believed in, trusted, and loved. Every time we step back and say, you've got this, 
we're telling them, I believe you can, instead of the opposite message when we overhelp, which is, I don't think you can, therefore I need to. It's interesting you say that. I have a a daughter who's going to be 25 in August, and our relationship has gotten significantly better when I have just acknowledged those things that she has done on her own. And I keep saying to her, you know, I am so proud of you. And I know that no matter what, you have the capacity to figure this out. Yeah, And it changed everything between us. Beautiful. It sounds like maybe you were a bit of a fixer before. Oh, yes. 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 My daughter is is the one who's about to be 21. And, uh, you know, she called us from college in the middle of the first full pandemic school year. And she was living off campus because she didn't want to be kicked out of a dorm again. And she called us and she only calls us when she's got a problem. So that's part of the challenge. Like, um, and she's like, I haven't hooked up my internet. I can't track down my landlord. I have to register my scooter with the DMV out here in North Carolina. And I already have a paper due and I'm just stressed. I'm just, and I could hear it. And I was like, oh my God, baby, I love you. You don't need to register the scooter now. She's like, mom, <laughs> I, kn- I know just mom, mom, I'm not asking for your help. And I was like, Fine. I did it again. Of course I want to help. I have a lot of answers. I'm yes. very, I live, I've lived life. How would I not tell my job? You know stuff. But the help is, wow, that sounds like so much. Yeah, Man, you're dealing with a lot. Let us know if you need ideas or what have you, but we're also just here for you to vent. We love you so much. And then shut up and let them <laughs> say yes. you know, what they need to say. And if they want advice, they will ask you for it. They will. I mean, it was a game changer when I realized that I need to stop fixing. Yeah. That it wasn't actually so helpful, you know, like, and just go work on my own handbook, you know, go, 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 go do my thing. I'm going to tell you another quick story. My son is the one who's 20, about to be 23. He's living with us throughout the pandemic. And one day, say a year and a half ago, I was making dinner. I get stressed when I make a fancy dinner. I don't know why. I get very anxious. I like everything to come out on time, whether it's, you know, five dishes or 12. I want them all hot and on the table. Plated properly. And so I schedule it all. I have it all like whatever. That's my thing. And he was making a snack. This was like a couple of hours before dinner, which is totally fine. And and he asks me, I'm in the middle of measuring or whatever. And he's like, mom, do I put this in the toaster oven at 375 or 400? And I was like, (laughs) frustrated that this then 20 year 21 year old didn't know like how to use a toaster oven like it's not that precise like come on and and I sort of snapped at him or my face got snappish I turned away with my mindfulness practice I said Julie what's going on and I said I'm stressed because I'm in the kitchen why is that I don't know but I'm really curious why do you think you just snapped at Sawyer because I'm embarrassed that he's asking me this how-to question an eight-year-old might ask Why do you think he doesn't know the answer? Because I've always micromanaged him in the kitchen. I'm having this dialogue with myself. (laughs) I found a Sawyer and I apologize. I say, Sawyer, I'm so sorry. I get stressed in the kitchen. I don't really know why, but it has nothing to do with you. Number two, what I want to say is, here's the answer. There is no answer. You have to try and see what happens. If the right answer is 375, but you've put it in at 400, it's going to start to burn. You're going to smell that. You know, if the answer is it's supposed to be 400 and you only put it in at 375, it's going to take longer than you think. The only way to know the answer for this particular thing you're trying to make <laughs> is, is to try it and pay attention and see what happens. And he smiled the minute I apologized. And then he smiled as I gave him this this advice. And then we just went our separate ways and, and parallel played in the kitchen. 
And, you know, as you're telling this story, I think this is a metaphor for life. How do you know to do your life at 375 or 400? Well, you pick one temperature and see how it goes. Right. It's exactly right. I mean, right. isn't that, that is the handbook right there. That's the handbook. <laughs> However, my, I have written this incredibly long book to try to give people advice. And let me tell you, it's, it's part memoir, my own struggles, things that I've learned the hard way. It's part self-help lists, like people like lists, the 16 ways to develop good character, for example. But then every chapter concludes with stories of humans from diverse backgrounds, diverse in their mental health, diverse in their neurocognition stuff, diverse in their ethnicity and race and how educated they are, what, how much money they have, where they grew up. And it's my way of saying everybody matters. Everybody's got a different path. Learn from the stories of others. And in so doing, see that we're all so similar. See that our differences are important. And yet, fundamentally, we have so much in common, which is we just want to be able to make our way through this life, have relationships, make meaning in our work, whatever that is, and be treated with dignity and kindness by everybody else. Yeah, it is, you know, the family of humanity. I think everybody wants those things, you know, yeah. that is where we are all alike. There's nobody, right. there's nobody who said, no, I don't think I want I to have that. a good life, you know? Right. Everybody yeah. says this. Yeah. We are nearly out of time. And I want to touch upon something that you write in your turn, how to be an adult. And you talk about getting out of neutral. Yeah. And, and the tragedy of unused potions. That was well, the yeah, I think there's a lot of young adults who are stuck because they've been told that there's a right track, which there isn't. They've been told, keep your options open, which is just to put you in a paralyzed state of anxiety. And so get out of neutral is kind of the hinge of the book where I'm saying whatever's got you stuck, whatever's holding you back, it's time to examine that and move those things out of the way. Whether it's the designers in Silicon Valley who say, fail your way forward, or the improv actors who say, just start anywhere. There's all of this wisdom that says forward momentum is much more important than like the perfect choice. There is no perfect choice. There's just what feels like a really good next step for you right now. Love that. And, and, and the action, the inaction is an action and a choice as well. So exactly. you're saying that you, you, you pick one, pick, pick a door, go there, door. check it out. Right. There's no right door. And these kids, of course, have been raised often in communities like yours and mine, where it's been a lockstep path through childhood. You have to do this in order to get that, in order to get that. Everyone's told them there is a right class. There is a right activity. And I'm here saying that doesn't apply to adulthood. It's a what mysterious, wide open landscape of almost infinite possibility. And you get to decide through some trial and error and figuring things out. You learn about the world. You learn about yourself you keep going. And that's the ultimate message is keep going. You're more in charge than you realize. You're in charge of yourself, your actions and reactions. You do you. You're going to be okay. Keep going. <laughs> and what about those unused potions? Well, the point is, you know, that's gaming terminology. So, you know, when you're doing a video game and you got to some level, you acquired some gem or some potion and you don't manage to use it when you're run out of lives in the game, you're sort of like, dang, I, you know, wait a minute, but I had the magic potion. I had the invisible potion. I had the extra life potion. Why didn't I use those things? Oh, because you were waiting for a better time. Well, you know, uh, there, there may not be a better time. What, what? Why is there a better time than now? It's sort of that conditional happiness. When I get this, when I get that, you know, right. then, then I will be right. happy or satisfied. 
And you're saying use the get out of jail free card. You know, I'm to to the older folks, those of us who play Monopoly, (laughs) because I didn't know the gaming terminology, which I'm probably dating myself. But in essence, that's what it is, right? That's what it is. And to the older folks, I will say, Lisa, I wrote this book for 18 to 34 year olds, millennials who coined the term don't know how to adult, don't want to adult, but also Gen Z's. But older folks have read it and they've said to me, I know you didn't write this for me, but I see myself in your turn. And I'm like, yeah, here's why. It's just a book that's like a mirror. You read it and you'll see yourself where you need to. Julie, will you be like my surrogate mom? Surrogate <laughs> ah, <laughs> <laughs> sister loves you. Sister, and yes. With you, because I don't have all the like Bob. Implicit in this is there are no answers. No one has all the answers. It's a way of being, a way of thinking, a way of holding grace for ourselves yeah. to be imperfect and to be curious. I think curiosity, humility, grace. And hard work, you know, work hard, but also cut yourself some slack when things go wrong. Yes, I will definitely be whomever you want me to be. French is so important. We need it more than ever. We need it more than ever. And, you know, showing up here, you know, with a full heart and laughing Mm -hmm. at the process of the practice and ourselves, and it just feels really good. So thank you for spending part of your day with me. It's always a pleasure. And We're talking today about your turn, how to be an adult. My guest has been Julie Lithcott-Hames. And to learn more, I'm going to give you the website and all those social handles. It's julielithcotthames.com. And you can find Julie on social media. It's a bit of a foreshortening of her name. It's J-L-Y-T-H-C-O-T-T-H-A-I-M-S on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Julie, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks to you and to everyone who listened and to those who listen, whatever came up as Lisa and I talked, notice it. That's a clue from you to you that we said something that matters. We're going to take that quick break and we'll be right back. Did you know that happiness is actually good for your health? Happy people live longer, are more productive, and make better partners, parents, and professionals. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. And we're back continuing the conversation about rising adult professionals. Stand up, stand out, and succeed. My next guest is Mark Zides, who is the founder and CEO of Core Axis Consulting, an award-winning learning and development and talent management firm. Mark is also the founder of Katama, an agency specializing in sales strategy, marketing, and customer service for small to medium-sized businesses. And Recipe, a digital marketing agency for rental event equipment companies. He is the author of the book, The Hashtag Pace Process for Early Career Success. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for joining me on the show. Thanks for having me, Lisa. I appreciate it. Oh, let's have some fun with this. What made you write this book? Well, I wanted to give back to the Gen Zs and the Gen Ys of the world in in a way where I'd provide them with some coaching, some, you know, some tough love, I guess people may call it, and feedback and uh, tools on how, how to best prepare themselves to enter the workforce as they are graduating from college. Got it. What was your own experience? as a young man coming up in the business world, did you have a lot of mentoring? 
I did. Yeah, I was fortunate. You know, I think that the purpose of the book is really to times are different, right? So I'm a Gen X and Gen Xers are categorized a lot of times as having a lot of grit and resilience and, you know, just making things happen. And this generation, good, bad, or indifferent, oftentimes are characterized or stereotyped as being a little soft or not really going for what they want. And a lot of that's based on the way they were brought up, the technology difference between this generation and past generations. So I'm trying to kind of bridge the gap to help all these uh, young professionals thrive in the workforce. You have developed a process, the PACE process, to help guide people towards this success. What does it mean to keep the PACE? Right. So keep the pace can mean a lot of different things, right? So you can say something to someone saying, keep the pace, pick up the pace, maintain the pace. It's one of those words that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. In the context of the book, Lisa, what we wanted to do is build a process around preparing, applying, committing, and evaluating, right? So it's a four-step process as you go into the workforce. You know, what does it take to prepare for an internship your, your junior year? What does it take to apply for a job in a virtual world that we're in now? So, you know, when you and I were probably going for our first job interview out of college, we were meeting someone face-to-face, shaking their hand. All those social cues go away now in some ways because a lot of these interviews are virtual uh, through a Zoom. And, you know, then there's the commitment to the role. There's the perception out there that these young professionals jump a lot more. They're not as loyal as people were in the past. So, you know, how do you evaluate that when you get into a job? Should you move? Should you stay? All that good stuff. And let's go to E. So evaluate, right? So that's really a lot of self-reflection, a lot of um, evaluation of yourself and where you are in your career path and your career ladder. So there's not a lot of, um, you know, inherent knowledge by these young professionals, given what companies are telling us on, you know, how to best you know, push yourself, advocate for yourself within your career in the same company. So don't necessarily feel like you have to jump to another organization. You might be able to develop yourself through evaluation in the same company you're at. Let's talk a little bit about sort of uh, jumping from job to job. It's my understanding in the in the career pl- marketplace today that the Gen Z workforce is also focused on quality of life portfolio careers. They're not looking to do the same thing for their entire lives. So they come at the job place very, very differently. You're absolutely correct. And that's a paradigm shift from the past. So organizations need to adapt and be agile as well uh, when it comes to not just attracting uh, this talented group of individuals, but also retaining them. So there's a delicate balance, right? Where, you know, the mindset of being a, um, a freelancer or, you know, the gig economy, that's in a lot of um, these young professionals sort of DNA. And but what can we do to sort of break some of those trends? No one expects someone to necessarily work at a company, you know, for 30 years, like, you know, my parents did, or potentially your parents did, right. But, you know, what can we do to um, help train or educate, you know, this, this talented group to stick with it in some of these companies, right? There's no, it's okay to jump around and gain knowledge as you do it, but make sure that while you're doing that, or if you're doing that, you're building your brand, you're building your LinkedIn profile to enable you to accelerate your career in the best way possible. Let's talk a little bit about social media and Gen Z. 
with my, I have young adults. And one of the things I told my young adult children is be careful what you put out there on the internet because it's there forever. So when they were at the end of their high school experience, I'm like, do not put those like those rager parties out on social media. Because when you go to apply for a job and they do have people in, in their HR that do seek to learn about the personalities of these kids before they're hiring them. Again, spot on. You should have wrote the book with me, Lisa. Um, you know, one <laughs> do of the, you have young adult kids? I do. Yeah. Three of them, right? So same thing. You know, again, a lot of the feedback we receive from clients that we work with, you know, we work with companies like Thermo Fisher Scientific, Bank of America, Amazon. You know, we're talking with, speaking with senior HR folks, onboarding folks. And like you said, these recruiters or hiring managers, the first thing they do when they see an application come in or a resume is they troll the internet and they look for social media sites, whether it's, you know, LinkedIn's first, but, you know, Instagram, TikTok, others. And if there's questionable party photos, or like you said, ragers, that could turn them off from that candidate. So one of the things that we coach in the book or we advocate for is you have to clean up your social profile before you go for a job. Very, very good advice. In fact, one of my friends has a daughter who was in law school and during the pandemic, she temporarily dropped out and got a job as a private investigator. She got her license and she is one of those people that goes through potential hires and trolls the Internet for everything. Right. It's real. So and a lot of these you know, young professionals don't necessarily know that that's happening. So, again, perceptions, reality. Um, they don't necessarily know that. My kids don't necessarily know that. So they have to be coached or educated or mentored on look, this is the process on how to become a young professional. And some of these things you did in the past are okay, but you need to sort of button up your your social profile. Yes, yes. Or be completely private or go under a pseudonym, <laughs> you know, you know, to, to be below the radar. Let's talk about some of the positive qualities of millennials and Gen Z, what they bring to the workplace, because it really is this f- fabulous hybrid, right? It's a melange of good stuff that when utilized well can help an organization thrive. I love this organization. I mean, this this generation. I, I think these, you know, uh, I hate to use the word kids, but that's what they are relative to, to us. You know, where I am <laughs> or you are. Um, um, they bring a lot of um, diversity and inclusion. They bring a, a technology background and skill set that Gen Xs like, like myself don't bring. They bring a lot of energy. They bring work-life balance. You know, they bring empathy is the word that I like to use. And I think those are all traits and behaviors and tendencies that these companies need to infuse in their organizations and their cultures. So I believe that this cohort of this this group of uh, workforce can absolutely bring change, but they should bring the all of these experiences and their communication around what they want to see changed and done to these companies in a positive way. So the perception sometimes is that they they bring a lot of this in sort of a a mannerism that might be labeled as entitlement or you know they expect this and but if they bring it in a way that will impart change and build channels and communities in these organizations, I think that's an incredible opportunity for them to sort of push the next generation of workforce. So this this Gen Z, young Gen Y, they're going to make up half the workforce in a couple of years, right? So they have to actually build their skills as young leaders to actually grow, you know, these organizations into what they should become in the future. 
And it's interesting, you talk about the quality of life, which we've mentioned twice now in in our conversation. I think one of the things that I see is an unconventionality and in their approach of getting the job done. You know, that they will work remotely or they will work in off hours to accomplish the mission, which is very different than, let's say, what our generation wants to accomplish it between nine and five, you know, Monday through Friday. And that's that. Again, I agree. Yep. I agree with you. Again, it's, it's, you know, these corporations and uh, many have changed, or I'm sure you've read, you know, uh, Google has an unlimited vacation time policy now, right? A lot of these larger brands are you know, building their HR policies, uh, changing their cultures to sort of match and fit um, this incoming generation into the workforce. But I think there needs to be, you know, agility on both sides, right? You know, they need to actually yes. work toward a common cause. I'm okay with, you know, there's articles all the time with a 40 work week or, you know, work-life balance. And and I, I am a 110% believer of all of that. You know, these organizations need to recognize that, but at the same time, these young professionals need to come into the workforce, you know, knowing that if their manager or a colleague says, hey, can you get this done by five o'clock tonight? It's really important. They can't say, well, wait a minute, like I'm only working a half a day. Right? Yeah. So I mean, I mean, there needs to be this sort of understanding of what makes the most sense, when to push back, when not to push back. So we can get super tactical, but to keep it at a high level, there needs to be openness on both sides. And I think a respect for project-based deadlines. I mean, if somebody says to you, we need it by, you know, this time that there should be no questions asked because there's so much flexibility on the other side. And I think the pandemic has taught us that and the, the way in which we work, the way we integrate work and life. Agreed. Yeah. And, and, and technology platforms have, have done that as well. Like look at Zoom, look at Skype, look at, you know, Microsoft Teams, things like that. Work can get done in the flow of the day, right? So work gets done in a lot different uh, manner now. And these uh, young professionals understand the technology platforms to actually, you know, get work done at speeds and at efficiencies that, that, you know, I didn't do, you know, 20 years ago, certainly. Well, I didn't either. You know, it's the, the speediest thing 20 years ago was the fax machine. <laughs> <You know? laughs> no, that's probably not true. 30 years ago was the fax machine. 20 years ago, we already had some of this technology in place. We're going to need to take a break. And when we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Mark Zides. We're talking about his book, The Hashtag Pace Process for Early Career Success. To learn more, please visit markzides.com on Twitter, mzides, and on Instagram, m. Zides. Here comes the pause. We'll be right back. Who says money can't buy happiness? Whether you are a skeptic or seeker, check out Lisa's new book. Are we happy yet? Eight keys to unlocking a joyful life. A boot camp manual for greater emotional fitness is available at Barnes and Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Here's a truth bomb. Emotions are contagious. And happiness is a universally desired state. But we tend to forget that we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstances. Explore the journey of human happiness, how to find it and keep it, with Lisa's documentary film, H Factor. Where is your heart? Visit HarvestingHappiness.com to learn more.
back, Mark Zides and I are talking about rising adult professionals, stand up, stand out and succeed. Let's get back to the conversation. So Mark, I'd love to talk about the mindset, you know, getting your head screwed on in the right way, in the right direction to build the scaffold towards success. Cause it's not just in the doing, it's also all the work that comes before the doing. Agreed. Yeah. And, and, you know, that the book does talk about that. You know, we certainly talk about prepare the preparation for getting a job. So a lot of that comes down to some of the tactics that, you know, we as adults take for granted that young adults or, or students, graduating students don't necessarily have. Right. So, you know, I believe that research is a big part of that. You know, you want to find the right company from a cultural perspective, from, you know, uh, having the, the, the same goals and aspirations of you. You know, obviously, if you're, you know, a finance person, you can work in, in multiple companies. But if you're, you know, marketing, if you're an engineer, there's, you know, that you're probably going to go work for a manufacturing or engineering company, right? So you want to be able to do some of the necessary research. You want to be able to... Um, use LinkedIn as a tool. 20 years ago, LinkedIn didn't exist. So when these kids were all born in 2000, uh, all these Gen Zers, this tool, uh, this platform is an incredible opportunity for them to figure out where they might want to work. And then they need to go for it. So, you know, you mentioned the word scaffolding, we call it a foundation. It's the same thing. They need to build their social profile, you know, their work profile, you know, do they have the right experience? Did they have an internship? you know, that they can put on their on their profile. Is their cover letter prepared in a way where it'll resonate with a potential hiring manager? Meaning, is it customized? Have they, you know, done a mock interview virtually where they're making sure that, you know, they have the, the right cues, they're looking to the, um, the computer the right way, you know, assuming it's a virtual interview. Are they, you know, asking the right questions? Are they prepared? So it's a lot of that sort of, upfront work that's really important and getting into the workforce. Let's talk about unlocking opportunities. You talked about, you know, using LinkedIn, for example, to do research, do one's homework, but there are other ways, right? Through social capital is one that comes to mind, referrals. Talk a little bit more about how we can tap into opportunities that we don't necessarily see. Yeah. Again, great point. Lisa, so social capital is important. You know, you should leverage your network. You should leverage your parents. You should leverage your your professors. You know, whoever alumni. You know, from you know the college that you're graduating from. These are all important channels or networks that you can identify and use to try to get into your foot into a door uh, within a company that you want to work at. So, for example, to get tactical for a moment, you know, if there's a company you want to work for, and let's say you know, your parent or your or your guardian's friend is at that company, you should connect to them on LinkedIn. You should DM them or IM them and let them know about the job you're going for. See if the hire if they know the hiring manager and if they can make a recommendation for you to get in there. Because if they go through the regular online recruiting process, a lot of times your resume just goes into a, a black hole. It doesn't, you know, make it to yeah. the hiring manager's desk. I have a fantastic little story about that. I have a nephew who was connected through his mother for a re to a real estate development company he really, really, really wanted to work for. The, the uh, bridge was made, the connection was made, he had the interview, and he got the feeling like it, it went well, but then he heard nothing, crickets. And his mom said to him, this is my sister, she said, well, call him back. 
you know, keep calling, keep telling him how much you love this company and you want it. And he was really on the fence because he didn't, he lacked the the self-confidence to make the call. Right. But he spoke to the person that had made the referral. And that person said, like, I'm going to kick your butt a little bit because if you're going to go in there and you're going to be in the dog eat dog, you know, commercial real estate world, you are going to need to have more skills than just making the call and waiting for the follow-up. So if you want it, you need to go get it. And the kid went and got, and got the job. He kept persisting, but it wasn't his default setting. That's awesome. Yeah. Again, I, I love stories like that, Lisa, because, you know, that's exactly right. Uh, you know, these, these, you know, again, kids, uh, you know, don't have the communication skills, or I'd say DNA or confidence, right? When they're when they're coming out of college to do those things. So some do. You know, some are, you know, type A or they're very aggressive, and, and that's great. But in general, a lot don't. And those, and that's a perfect example of what it takes to get a job, like you said, in this in this challenging work uh, workplace. Not to give up and to have a little chutzpah. You know, like maybe you need a chapter about that in your next book. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. So, Mark, let's talk a little bit about, you know, having the right mindset and unlocking these opportunities that are out there in the world. I mean, I have more questions than that, but that'll that, that'll get us going here. Sure. So I think, you know, 20 years ago, LinkedIn didn't exist. And a lot of these young professionals um, should be leveraging that tool to unlock, like you said, their network, their potential to find the right job for themselves. So as they prepare and do research for the companies that they want to work for that align with their own uh, goals and, and, and norms and culture, um, you know, they should try to find ways to network through either their family or friends or, or professors and mentors to try to get into those companies outside of using the traditional online application process. And, and social capital does help. You know, it's very, very interesting how many jobs people get because they know someone who knows someone. It's not because they're given the job because of that, but they get access to the right person because they, they asked. You're absolutely right. The old adage of, um, you know, um, it's all about who, you know, you know, really is important these days. And don't, you know, these young professionals should not be shy about reaching out to people, even if they're not very close to them, you know, go outside of your comfort zone, reach out to someone who may be, you know, one or two people outside of it, your your inner circle or your, your personal network and see if they'd be willing to do you a favor. Now, look, if they, you know, to make an introduction, you just know that these people are very busy and they're not going to help everyone out. But if you give them a reason and you say, hey, you know, I know you're alumni um, of the school I go to, and I really want to work at this company, and you're there. I'd like to learn from you. And if there's anything I can do for you, whether it's now or down the road, I'd be happy to reciprocate. Yeah. And people generally want to help. I know that when people come to me, if I know somebody, I'm happy. It, it brings me joy to make that introduction. Yes, I agree with you. Most people are want to help young professionals succeed. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Very, very good point. So it's who you know, how to access, how to ask the question. Um, let's talk about identifying our strengths and our weaknesses and how that impacts this professional life that we are building for ourselves early on. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a lot of it is really 
looking yourself in the mirror, again, another cliche, and figuring out what your strengths are and, and what some of your shortcomings may be. So, you know, always just like just like anything in life, you want to work on where you can improve upon yourself and, and then leverage your strengths. So if your strengths are communication or networking, you know, use those to try to open as many doors as you can to get as many interviews or conversations going. If that's a challenge for you, then, you know, um, you got to get outside of your comfort zone a little bit and find the tenacity and, and you know, the uh, the rigor to, to go out there and, and actually try to open some doors. Maybe you can find someone to help you do that. But, you know, it's really your responsibility to try to find a job once you graduate college. Indeed. And also there are groups one can join online groups through social media of people who have shared interests and you can brainstorm and network there. I mean, it's not just about who you know through social media and in your life, but you can actually cultivate and create new avenues for personal and professional growth. Yes, there are plenty of communities out there on social media. You know, I think that you want to be careful. You know, there's definitely job boards like Indeed or Monster that you know, you can actually go out there and do some research and figure out what the right community might be. But LinkedIn's a great uh, platform to be able to do that as well. Um, you know, TikTok's becoming an interesting platform around job search and job uh, job roles as well. If you, you know, search out there, there's definitely some interesting connections you can make that that might open some doors that you didn't necessarily think might might have existed. Do you have any stories like social media, you know, amazing stories or TikTok stories of how people have done this? You know, there's a couple of good TikTok channels. I'm not going to name them off the top of my head, but but if you, you know, use the good old hashtag and, and search on TikTok, there's some resume reviewers out there. There's some people that would actually represent you sort of as a as an influencer in a, in a, uh, in a way to help you find the right uh, role, help you find the right industry, you know, what's right for you. So there's certainly some, I'd say, business models out there on TikTok that can actually help you find the right direction. And then from there, maybe they can help open some doors for you. So there's certainly some stuff out there that I've learned from a lot of my recruiter friends at, at large companies that ha- have worked, especially in this in this younger generation. Amazing. Who would have thought TikTok and uh, resume reviews and, and, and influencers? Amazing. Yes, it's a much different platform and uh, and marketplace out there. Well, I suppose that creativity is key too. That you know, finding a creative, earnest way to market yourself is an important way to stand out from the crowd when you are seeking to enter the job market. Yes, it's a great point. You know, one of the things that I've seen uh, that's really effective is if someone's a creative, or you know, if they're someone who's in marketing or someone who's developed, let's say, a software or, or a mobile app, I believe that they should put that on the, on the, on the internet, right? So build a website, not, not a large website, but build a WordPress site that should almost like an online portfolio, yes. um, if you will. And then as you go for these jobs, share that portfolio with the, the hiring manager. It really, you know, will differentiate yourself from somebody who's just doing the traditional cover letter and resume process. Mark Zides, thanks for being with me today. We are out of time and I want to send our listeners over to buy the hashtag Pace Process for Early Career Success. You can go over to markzides.com on Twitter at mzides and on Instagram at M 
Zides. Again, Mark, thanks for spending part of your day with me. Thanks, Lisa. I really appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness today. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen on behalf of my guests, Julie Lithcott-Hames and Mark Zides, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Please go out and rock your day and remember to be kind to one another. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes via our free app or from our libraries at toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, and other fine podcast platforms. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit harvestinghappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.